Welcome to SKUcast, the podcast for entrepreneurs in the promotional products industry. SKUcast shines a light on our industry's best work, features maverick personalities, and discusses what's really involved in running a modern promotional products business. SKUcast is the official podcast of Common SKU. Change is, is only going to come about in a positive way if you can speak to the benefits across the board and, and really get into each person's head and understand why you know they're going to resist or why they're going to be excited about it. If you don't have that perspective, you're going to probably fail. And it's going to be really hard to be a leader. Our guest today is Mitch Fried, Vice President of Strategic Initiatives at Genumark. Genumark is one of the largest companies selling promotional merchandise, corporate uniforms, and apparel in Canada. Originally incorporated in 1980, Genumark has offices, showrooms, and warehouses all across Canada. With its 42,000 square foot sales and distribution facility and over 100 full-time employees, Genumark serves over 2,500 active accounts, including many broad-based blue-chip clients. Today, we're discussing how to affect change, whether you're a large business or small and how to disrupt the status quo without shocking the system. Every idea that I've been interested in exploring has been on a relatively small scale. You have to build a business case for bringing in a new initiative. And the way you do it is through early adopters and through you know those key people that are, that are willing to put in the effort. We discuss the impact millennial buyers will have on distributors. Millennials are going to take on those marketing jobs, those procurement jobs, those people who are our clients. Like that's just the nature of what's gonna happen in the next five, 10 years. Mitch is also a millennial and a second generation distributor who comes from an entrepreneurial and management consulting background. A former senior consultant with KPMG and a co-founder, VP and general manager of Pop Experience, Mitch received his MBA from Northwestern's Kellogg School of Management in the Chicago area. Today's episode is courtesy of CommonSkew, the effortless business management platform that empowers you to process more orders and grow your business. For more information or to start your free trial, visit commonskew.com. So Mitch, welcome to the program. You are a second generation distributor who grew up in and around the business and now it seems poised to help lead Genumark into new frontiers. What was it like growing up in and around the business? And did you ever think that you would be in the business someday? Growing up in the business, or in, I wouldn't say I grew up in the business, but I certainly right. watched it and, and it was part of, you know, part of my life and certainly part of dinner table discussions. As a kid, I certainly remember coming to the office, not overly frequently, but, but enough to, you know, that when I came, it was, it was always exciting and fun. I'm talking about, you know, probably when I was you know, 12 years old and younger, you know, we have a, we have a great showroom, which we call the swagatorium, which was, you know, lots of fun things to look at and touch and and feel. And, and I used to get pretty excited to, to, to come and see that and see what was new. Um, but then as I got older and, and, you know, when I was in high school and university, I took, I took a number of jobs at Genumark, you know, back, back in the day, I was doing data entry for our programs, like way back before there were web stores. I remember doing things <laughs> like that. Um, you know, we would get, we would get orders for our, our programs via f- a fax machine. No kidding. Yeah. And yeah, I, wow. would, you know, I would put the data, you know, into our system and it would go through, you know, and eventually the warehouse would get it and we'd try and ship it out that day. And then I also spent several summers in the back in the warehouse, uh, you know, doing, you know, picking orders and that was even before we we had barcoding. So I, I've seen I've seen the evolution yeah. of the business sort of from many different levels. I, I bet you a lot of people probably don't even remember me when I was doing things like that. 
because you know when yeah. I was when I was in the warehouse, I was way at the back, and I definitely didn't come to the front right. very often. I grew up That's watching fun. it as a kid, but I I definitely you know did some part time jobs here as well. That's a unique perspective. So in, in in many ways, you observed the business as it evolved, at least from the outside. I think the benefit of that experience at a young age was understanding how important every single role truly is to make sure yeah. that, that this that this thing that we're working on every day, which Absolutely. is Genumark, is, is, is working. I mean, it certainly, it certainly gave me an appreciation of how hard everybody works even if you don't yeah. see someone every day from the guys at the back yeah. in the warehouse to, to people working in an account, like the support staff do a tremendous job here. And I think working those part-time jobs in support for all those years, I, I think it, it truly did give me an appreciation. And what's really amazing about our company is a lot of those people that I worked on, that I worked with are, are still here. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So it's just, I think that says a lot about, you know, the way, yeah management has been able to retain people and keep people really happy and engaged. I just saw a video of one of your employees who had retired after 20 years or so, and that just, it, it did seem kind of fairly common. Yeah. You know, people are just generally happy to work here, which is pretty, pretty amazing. I didn't touch on your question. Did I ever see myself working here? Did you grow up sort of thinking that's, I'm never going to get into that business? It's so funny because I always think of myself as like someone that's very rational and practical and, and weighs options well and likes to make good good strategic analytical decisions. I don't want to say I blew it off, but no, like I didn't think about it very often at all. I think I think there's a couple reasons. The first is that if you look at uh you know what my dad did, Mark Freed, he 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 didn't go into his like my grandfather had a family business and now they're in that business is in its third generation. It's a it's a men's clothing store. Um mm independent clothing store uh, in Windsor, Ontario. I don't know. He made the decision, I guess, early on that he wasn't going to go into that business for whatever mm. reason. My uncle actually still runs it today. So that that business is very much alive and well, and my dad has nothing to do with it. So I think for him, he thought, you know, I didn't, I didn't go into my family business and I went down this path and things kind of worked out. So him and I very rarely growing up. And, and even as I started working professionally, we, we honestly really just didn't talk about it. I think that was sort of his way of, of wanting me to find my own my own path and whether it was Genumark yeah. or, or something else. So I definitely didn't have the pressure. It wasn't something that we talked about often at all. But it's just so funny because it's just such an amazing opportunity to work here. And it's sort of, I guess, always in front of my nose. And, and only, yeah. you know, sort of in the last couple of years did we really start formulating a plan of how of how this could work in the future and, and why it would make sense for, for me to join. But no, I didn't grow up every day thinking that this was my path at all. When I was in between sort of my next move, when I graduated business school, uh, part of what I wanted to do was was some, do something called starting a, it was a, a search fund, it's called, where you you get some some capital from, from a bunch of different investors and you buy, you know, like a small to medium-sized business. And I wanted to try and grow a business and I wanted to... I wanted to have that opportunity and I was having lunch with, with, with a friend and someone that I really like, someone who was doing something similar. And I, and I said, you know, I may start this. And, and he said to me, you know, isn't the, isn't the obvious move that you would just go, go work at Genumark? And, and, hmm. and then I thought, well, you know, I don't talk about it that much with my dad and they've got things really figured out there and there's a really good management team in place. And he said to me, like, I, I'm sure a conversation, a really good conversation will, will, will open up a lot of doors for you and it'll be a lot different than you're, than you're just assuming. You know, yeah. I told you, I never had that pressure from my dad ever uh, yeah. in a positive way. But, but once we started talking, I mean, the, the, 
the conversation changed and went in a very positive direction. So you never know. I mean, I think that's within an organization. If you're trying to think about an idea that you have that you're sort of thinking about, go find that right person and talk to them. And certainly that that's what happened. And that's why I'm at Genumark today is because, you know, I was looking for a similar path. It was sort of always there, but I never really thought it was an option for me. And once, once we start, you know, once we started talking, I saw that, you know, not only was it a good thing for me, but I think it was a good thing for the company and for my dad and yeah. for it, for management here. It's a wise, it's a wise father. He was waiting for the initiative to come from you. Yeah, for sure. How does your sort of periphery experience there at the company affect uh, decision making today? I know from my background, um, you and I have very similar backgrounds in the sense that I, I too, entered orders from faxes and uh, grew up mm-hmm. basically in and around the warehouse and very similar. Uh, backgrounds in that regard. And it did shape the way I felt about the business and thought about the business for sure. How does it impact your thinking and decision-making today? The fact that you've been been at least around the business uh, and have dabbled in these, you alluded to it earlier with uh, the importance of every job. You know, dabbling in the business at a young age, I think, again, it helped me understand sort of how many moving parts there are and how complex, Mm -hmm. like when you're making a decision, you have to think about how it's going to affect everybody. Yeah. And I think that having those experiences and seeing various, you know, lots of different roles that people fill here, that's the biggest lesson is that when you're making a decision, you got to you got to think about what's best for the company as a whole. And there's right. and what does that mean? There's a lot of different people doing lots of different things. So it's really Yeah. it's really making sure that, you know, not everybody's going to be happy with everything. I spend a lot of time with our COO Dave Levenberg, who's been amazing in terms of mentoring me and just sort of teaching me the ropes uh, as we go day to day. Um, yeah. But but I think that's the that's the key is that there's not five people that work here. There, there's quite a few and and quite a few doing many different things. So to me, that's the biggest that's the biggest lesson is one decision affects a lot of people and and you got to weigh the good with the bad. So you're in a role where you're actually helping lead the second generation business. Um, what are some of the challenges that you see? I would I would assume given your given your experience and your consulting background, you come into the business with some pretty bold ideas on what where you should be heading. What are some of the challenges as you step into a very traditional business? Who, oh, I, which by the way, Jenny Mark seems like it's really stood the test of time and it really refurbished its brand, stayed relevant. Uh, but there've got to be challenges like there would be with any traditional business. What are some of those? And you know, what kind of headwinds have you faced? What successes have you had in the short time? And what do you see in the road ahead? I think personally, there's a specific pressure on myself to to prove myself. You know, as I've said, a lot of people have known me for a long time, not necessarily in a working capacity. You know, there's people that I've known for for 20 years plus, and you know, to come in and at a pretty pretty senior role is is not easy and not something that I'm taking lightly. Yeah. So to yeah. me, that's just something that I'm trying to be super conscious of. Uh, I think I think that's incredibly important. I think you're right. Like coming into a business where you know a little bit about it, you've seen quite a bit outside of the business. You know, I was working in management consulting and working in many different industries. I was working in healthcare technology. Uh, I saw, you know, I worked for some crown corporations for the government and uh, I've had the pleasure and the, and, and a, a nice experience of working in a lot of different mediums. But with that comes all these new fresh ideas that, you know, you just want to throw out there and you want to, yeah. you, you know, you want to just sort of get moving on, but it's that balance of knowing that you don't know everything 
And you got to keep asking questions. You know, we don't believe in the status quo here. I think that's that's why we've been successful. My dad always says the status quo is the enemy. I think challenging what we do now in a positive way, constructive way, as opposed to just writing off why we're why are we doing something this way? Like that's it's not a challenge, but it's something that I, I try and be really thoughtful about because there's a lot of smart people that work here and that have worked here for many years. And there's there's probably a really good answer for why we do things a certain way if it seems if it seems like it doesn't make that much sense to me at, at the forefront. Yeah. So I think that's that's the key balance, and that's that's something that I you know not everything moves really quickly. There's things that I you know that I've talked to people and said, well, you know, why are we doing it this way? Seems like we should change it really quick. And I think having some resistance from people, you know, healthy resistance and not wanting to make changes quickly because they know, you know, what could happen if it goes wrong. I, I think, I think that's a challenge, but something that I'm learning to manage as, as I, as I spend more time here. There are a lot of second generation, third generation businesses in this industry. It's a unique burden to carry to grow up in and around the business and work with colleagues who have sort of a fixed idea of who you are or who you were. And the astonishing thing is you're growing and learning all the time. It's a wonderful problem to have when you have a long time tenured employees uh, that you work alongside, but you're changing dramatically uh, in the process. And so, I mean, it, it's kind of a unique perspective as opposed to maybe high turnover where you've got folks rolling in and out every mm-hmm. two years in a company uh, where people hardly know each other. The unique burden on the side of tenured companies or long-term uh, with long-term employees is you have these fixed ideas of who you are and you need to give yourself and each other room to change and grow. And that's just something you kind of learn. I think that was sort of the need of me coming to Genumark. What's been like super refreshing, you know, I said, you know, you don't want to move too fast and you can't just call these shots quickly. I think, I think high level, certainly management understands that there is a need to change and that, you know, like I said already, I don't want to keep, you know, keep saying this, but you know, status quo is the enemy. So I think the idea of having someone, you know, a millennial, someone who understands sort of the, the way things will move in the next five to 10 years because he or she is living in it. I think that was sort of the appeal of me coming at this time. Um, and I think that while we may have some resistance on a molecular level on certain issues, like that is the overall goal, goal moving forward in the next five to 10 years. So I'm very lucky that I have that sort of behind me. With the millennial mindset, how do you see the business and, and what, what changes do you see that you need to shift toward and what kinds of discussions are you having given the fact that you have that perspective? You know, when I was in, when I was in business school, I had this amazing professor. His name was Dennis Shackle, or is Dennis Shackle, I should say. And he, he had something, he lived by something called the platinum rule. We've all heard of the golden rule. The, go, the golden rule is being treated as, you want to, as you'd want to be treated. His rule was the platinum rule which was treat others in the way that they themselves want to be treated. Right. And it's really hard to identify that when you know, you're know you dealing with someone who thinks totally differently than you. And you know the same way that I'd have a really tough time, not a really tough time, but a harder time you know, dealing with a client that's, that's 65 or older because they've been doing something a certain way for 30 years. Uh, and you know, maybe at one of our account managers who's been here for a long time would be able to really guide that relationship. I think it would be a lot harder Mm. for that person, that account manager who's been here for 30 years to go out and get a new business uh, at a startup that has all this new capital where 80% of the employees are millennials. 
I think, I think there's, yeah. that, that's the hole. And I think that everybody here recognizes that you got to be able to, to sell to both and to, to service both and to be of service to, to all different types of customers. So I think that's sort of been the missing gap over the last couple of years at Genumark and it's brushing up on that. And the, and the trend is, is, is that customer base, that millennial customer base is only going to grow. So we have to learn how to, how to react to those types of customers as a company. Millennials are going to take on those marketing jobs, those procurement jobs, those people who yeah, are our yeah. clients. Like that's just the nature of what's going to happen in the next five, 10 years. On a micro level, how do you see millennials buying today versus uh, the tradition that your company has grown up in, in and around, and which is the tradition of the industry? What kind of discussions are you having at Genumark about shifts in your business, be it whether it's technology, whether it's the way you interact with creative, whether it's uh, communication with customers? What are the shifts that are happening? How do millennials expect today to transact business? I think millennials want to move at a certain speed. I think that's un- uh, kind of unfortunate for, for like what we take pride in is the relationships that we build uh, with our clients. And some, some of our, some of our clients, uh, you know, are just interested uh, as I think everybody across the industry sees, you know, getting that face to face time is, is not as easy anymore. And, yeah. you know, it's a lot more email oriented, uh, you got to kind of now wow them on the computer in a different way, which is sort of a bizarre thing if you think about a relationship-driven business. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, for us, adding things like Common Skew, where you can present product in a totally new, unique way that really speaks to, for sure, a millennial generation, I think, I think, I think that impresses people a lot. And I think that those are the types of things that we need to do to be able to communicate with these younger clients that are just going to you know, sprout in the next five, 10 years. We're only at the tip yeah. of the iceberg here at Genumark. Like we, I'd say, I, I mean, we don't, I don't have any data to support this, but we definitely don't service most millennial clients. Like there's, there's no question. Uh, that's right. not the core. I think it's just us anticipating what's to come. Yeah. I'm assuming then when you mentioned Comsky, but I'm assuming that you're also amping up additional tech resources really to meet this millennial de- demand as well, e-commerce and customer yeah. facing sites. For me, like the biggest challenge by far is we have so many account managers who are so good at what they do and so yeah. good at working it the way that they've, they have for all these years. To me, the biggest challenge is like bringing in these technology tools is a no brainer for people that are just starting out in our industry. And it's for those new millennials that we'll be hiring. The question really is if you have like, we're running a bunch of pilot programs now with new technology pieces. The question that I have and that, you know, we, we talk about as a team is like, how do you roll it out office? wide? do you roll it out office? wide? do you, do you give people the opportunity? Do you not even go there with certain uh, personnel, it's it's a really that's like that's a huge challenge, and that's something that I I wrestle with because you don't want to alienate people that have been here forever and making them think that they're not part of the positive change that that will come forward. Yeah. But you also don't want them. You don't want to fix what isn't broken either. Do you have advice for for others on how to implement new technologies into a traditional system? I, I think the key for us has been this like the pilot group. Every idea that I've been interested in exploring has been on a relatively small scale. You have to build a business case for bringing in new technology, a new initiative. And the way you do it is through early adopters and through you know those key people that are, that are willing to put in the effort. What happens is when you bring in a new initiative, even though it's going to improve your business in the long run, that short-term sort of learning curve will make you slow down. 
uh, in the first little bit. So you have to you have to engage people that are willing to try something new. And you know, I've seen it for sure with one tool that we brought in. Like we're we're past that hump, and it's it's been completely worthwhile. So now there's there's been a business case that's been built, and I think that's the key. These these like I'm obsessed with creating pilots. I probably say it like several times a day and it to to a point where it's obnoxious around here, but I think that's I think that's how you bring in something new. You can't just yeah. you can't just you can't just be one guy like me, you know, saying I want to bring in this tool and rolling it out across the board and right. having everybody just trust me, the one guy that's heard about it that yeah. you know oh this is going to be a smash hit it's just it just doesn't work that way besides the obvious of these folks needing to be early adopters what other traits do you look for in a pilot group what do you what do you what type of group is in your mind what type of candidates are in your mind when you're putting together a pilot group the way we've we've sort of built it here is that i i'm working closely with with a couple people who are sort of my pilot group for almost all things that i'm trying to think about so I think there's been a general sort of consensus with a few of these people that we're going to try a bunch of new things. You guys are going to be part of this whole new exploration of how we may do business over the next few years. And you guys are going to be pioneers. In it. The pilot group hasn't looked that different. I mean, with a little bit of change uh, across you know, these different things that we're trying. So it's, it's almost been a similar group that have just been willing and, and, and able certainly to to, to try several new things. Uh, and we've been able to iterate and we've been able to really talk and communicate about why things are working, why things aren't. We've, we've sort of changed things as we've gone. But I think the way we did it was setting up like you are a group that we're going to try lots of different things with. Um, otherwise, and then that way they just understand that this is... Uh, this is a very important role, you know, going through your day to day and what you're responsible doing, whether it's, you know, coordinating orders or, uh, or actually account managing, that's important, but you're also part of this greater initiative, which is helping us figure out how we can do business in the next five to 10 years. And that's how we've been able to, to get people on board. We haven't, I haven't picked like, you know, seven different pilot groups for seven different things that, that would just be, I think inefficient and it would, it would be a lot for me to manage. Um, so having a cohesive group that just sort of understands that they're part of this, this sort of ideation and, and trial and error, uh, it has been pretty effective. I would say you're at the tip of the spear in terms of change. Then I had a CEO once tell me he loved creating skunk works inside his own organization. And that's an old term for a group inside the organization whose job it is to basically disrupt and the way that that works is they're giving a high degree of autonomy and they're they're unhampered by bureaucracy. Uh, right. So they work on these tasks all the time that are their goal is to disrupt the business from within. With such a mature business, you know, incorporated in 1980, how has Genumark managed to stay relevant? I think this whole status quo is the enemy. Like, yeah, I think my dad believes that and like we truly try and, and live and breathe that every day. You know, there's certain principles that will never change. Like, for instance, we have this thing where um, we try to give our clients beyond customer service, we call it. Um, so going above and beyond is something that we always want to do, no matter how we change the business, no matter what tools we're investing in, and no matter what we're trying to accomplish. 
So by like keeping the generic principles of how we do business the same, you know, then mixing it with ad- with adoption uh, of of new technologies, of new ways of doing business, and not becoming reliant on the status quo. I think that's that's the key. It's it's the mix of just there's a general way that we treat everybody, our employees and the people that are our customers, but then we also can't just keep doing business the same way every year, year after year. That, I think I think that's the key to success. You're sitting having coffee with a leader in a business who's a traditional business, and they really want to affect change in their organization. Based on your experience so far in this strategic initiatives role and what you've learned about uh, piloting new technologies with your pilot groups and things like that, what would you advise this person um, as they are trying to affect change in a very traditional organization? I think the first the first few months, certainly like six months, you got to you got to understand what the mandate, what your mandate is going forward, and that uh, you know that management understands that change needs to take place. But you, as the person who's going to help drive that, also need to understand that you don't know everything, and you probably don't know the business as well as you think you do. Hmm. I try and keep that in mind every day, because again, yeah. the tenure at this company is is impressively long, and people here have seen way more. Uh, than I have. So I think, you know, staying humble and keeping your ears open and being a good listener at the beginning is far more important than coming in and making millions of changes. You're just going to be much more informed to make positive change by understanding the business better than, than you think you do. Yeah. So good advice. I I mean, I think it's, it's tough. You want to be a catalyst to change. And part of you thinks, well, if I'm not coming in and doing, making all these changes quickly, then I'm failing. Uh, I think the opposite. Uh, I think, I think keep yourself busy by talking to people. For me, like I, I don't think I did it enough. But but I sat with account managers. I sat with coordinators. I sat with with people in the warehouse. Um, I think you got to really understand the full fa- the full business. And change is is only going to come about in a positive way if you can speak to the benefits across the board and, and really get into each person's head and understand why, you know, they're going to resist or why they're going to be excited about it. If you don't yeah. have that perspective, you're going to probably fail and it's going to be really hard to be a leader. And then also when you, when you are thinking about implementing change, I mean, the key to success is talking to people and getting people in your head as well. And, and, you know, there shouldn't be secrets. There shouldn't be, there should be full transparency across the board, no matter what level uh, it is that, you know, whatever, no matter what level the person is that you're speaking to, you want as many people in your corner as, as, you, as you can possibly get. So to me, just being open and honest and, and talking to, to a lot of people and just understanding all these different perspectives that live in your building or in your company is, is crucial. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to keep that in, in mind. I'm sure I'm, I'm, failing on many fronts and I probably, you know, sound like I'm doing a better job than I am, but I'm certainly trying to think about it like that. It's a terrible assumption, but I would also think that because your family, people are tempted at first to withhold information when, when they understand that you're trying to build this bridge of trust and they understand where you're coming from in terms of change for the betterment of everybody in the organization, 
then that transparency is probably easier. It happens a lot easier. I'm sure I come up against that more than I even think I do, right? Because I, yeah. I often, I often will have great conversations with people, but I mean, yeah, I don't know what I don't know what I don't know. You yeah. know, you never do. So, you know, you just got to keep working on it. You got to keep trying to gain people's trust and be a good ear and a good listener. And you can go a long way if you if you can really master that skill. Well, Mitch, this has been great. I really enjoyed uh, talking with you and getting to know your particular challenges with your strategic initiatives. And uh, it's, it's really been an honor. Thanks, Bobby. I really enjoyed it. It was really nice chatting with you and uh, love what all you guys are doing at Common Skew. I think it's an, it's an awesome organization. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of SKUcast. Be sure to keep up with our latest content by subscribing to SKUcast on iTunes or to our blog at community.commonskew.com. Until next time, friends, thanks so much for listening. Thank you.